0: Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Hardewike Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church building on the Hardewike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Hardewike Ministries, please visit hardewike.com. Good morning. I'm Darwin Glassford, the executive pastor here, and I have the privilege of serving um, with JB and Pastor Bill and Pastor Aaron and, um, and working and leading, um, serving um, this community here through our multiple expressions um, that we normally join in on Sunday morning. And I have the privilege of bringing the message this morning. So let me begin here. The Christmas story is one of the most amazing stories in Scripture. As we read and reflect together on Jesus's miraculous birth, we ought to be filled with wonderment and gratitude for God's awesome gift in Jesus Christ. But if we step back, the Israelites at the time, Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and those around them struggled to make sense of Jesus's birth. They, They struggled and It did not appear to fit with their expectations of how the Messiah would actually come. And of course, the Roman rulers who occupied the land at the time did not even notice, did not even notice Jesus' birth. And making sense of Jesus' birth, even today in our crazy kind of consumeristic culture, often feels challenging. Yes, the context of Jesus' birth was very, very different. The Israelites at the time of Jesus' birth who walked by faith, in other words, they walked by faith, they trusted that Yahweh was going to care for them, was going to provide for them, saw the world entirely differently than the Romans who ruled over them. The Israelites at the time believed that the world was open, that God had created, that God governed, and that God sustained them and the world. The Pharisees, one group of um, Israelites, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Essenes, and your everyday Israelite believed that God had created, governed, and sustained the world. But the Romans, in many ways, saw the world in a very different manner. Actually, the way the Romans saw the world is very similar to how many people within Western culture see the world now. They saw the world as a closed box. There was no God for the Romans. And if there was a God, they, would have, they created one and they infused it with God-like qualities and transcendence. And the box that's created in this world, every person in our contemporary setting is defi- free to define their own existence. Rules and laws are made up. We voluntarily agree to them so we can live with each other. And this box is described by Richard Dawkins this way, that if you don't believe in God, the world is in a closed box. And he said, moral values are in the air, and they change from century to century, even from decade to decade. He goes on to say that if you live in this closed box, which he believed we did, there is no design, there is no purpose, there is no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. This is the world of the closed box. When there can be no reference to anything outside that box, there's ultimately no right or wrong. This box in our contemporary society goes by different names, probably captured by the terms that you've heard Bill and Aaron and J.B. use. Imminent frame and life in the box is described as expressive individualism. In many ways, this captures Roman culture at the time of Jesus' birth. The historian, Dr. Tom Holland, he's a a British guy. He grew up in a church. He's left the faith, so he no longer believes. But he he describes Roman culture this way at the time of Jesus' birth. In Roman culture, the strong do what they have to do, the weak must suck it up. Does that sound like a great place to live? The strong do what they have to do, the weak must suck it up. But then he goes on to note this, that every human being being possessed an equal dignity dignity was not remotely a self-evident truth. A Roman would have laughed at that truth. The origin of this principle lay not in the French Revolution, nor in the Declaration of Independence, nor in the Enlightenment, for you historic history buffs, but in the Bible but in the Bible. You see, life in the box is confining. And whether one acknowledges or not, life in the box, if you believe to be closed, continues to draw on the radical teachings of scripture and a commitment that every person is an image bearer. I want to repeat that. If you believe the box is closed, which many people do, Those in the box continue to draw on the radical teaching of Scripture that every person is an image-bearer of the Creator and worthy of respect. There is only the illusion of a closed box. Only the illusion. And people may believe that illusion, but that does not make it true. The Scriptures, especially the account of Jesus' birth, invite us to see and understand life from a different perspective. You see, if the box is not open, I'm sorry, if it's not closed, it's open. And when we say the box is open, we confess that the box belongs to God and that he can and does act within the created order to fulfill his purposes. We confess that there is a moral order to the world, that people are responsible and accountable to God and that God's purposes are being accomplished. And like the two characters in our passage this morning, Simeon and the prophet Anna, God revealed to them and revealed to Mary and to Joseph and to the infant Jesus that God was going to accomplish his purposes through this child Jesus. How God was going to accomplish his purposes was not entirely clear, but God was going to accomplish his purposes. Let us hear now from our text this morning from Luke chapter 2.
1: I'll be reading Luke 2, verses 22 to 40. When the time of their purification, according to the law of the Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said of the law of the Lord, a pair of dove or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When his his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required... Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived seven years with her husband after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you. Over the past month during Advent, we've been reflecting on Luke's gospel and the story of Jesus. This past Monday, we celebrated the birth of Jesus as we gathered together um, for worship. God sent his son into the world, and in sending his son into the world, basically, Okay, God sent his son into the world, and he sent his son into the world, in the words of God's gospel, God made himself known through the scriptures, through the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, and the sending of his son, he continues to make himself known to the Gentiles. And as one translation has put it, God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, we saw glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory like father and son, generous and inside, inside and out, true from start to finish. As we celebrated the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, through Christ, moved into the neighborhood. He moved in to make himself known to his people and to be a light to the Gentiles. And so in our passage this morning, we first meet Simeon, the prophet. Now, I want you to imagine with me, if you will, that Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, and they are following the law. Eight days afterwards, there are purification rites that have to take place. So Mary and Joseph journey to Bethlehem. They bring Jesus into the temple and they make the offering that is required. And their offering indicates that they were not well off financially. They were poor. And I suspect that Jesus' dedication, the dedication is going as planned. And then Simeon arrives. Simeon is unique. The words that are used to describe him indicate that he behaved well towards others. He was kind. He was generous. He was compassionate. He was careful about his religious duties, and he was waiting for the coming of the Messiah. It also says that that Simeon was unique in that he experienced the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit. So in the Protestant Christian tradition, we believe that when you profess Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. In the Old Testament, that's not what was understood. It was understood that the Holy Spirit came upon you at times and then left. Simeon is described as having the Holy Spirit present upon him and dwelling him. And this was not normal. He was a unique character. And if you can imagine with me, if you would like. Um, A baptism taking place here and a really unique character walking in from the back in the middle of the baptism, interrupting the baptism and making a prophetic statement. How comfortable would you all be with that? How comfortable would it be if you were the parents of this child and this character shows up who you don't know? Simeon shows up And the first thing Simeon reminds us is, is that God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. That Simeon has now seen the Messiah as the Lord had promised, and he can be dismissed from this life in peace, for he is seeing God's salvation. God promised him that he would see the Messiah and kept that promise. He goes on to say that this Messiah is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. In other words, this Messiah, this child is going to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, that he will be a light to the Gentiles. That light to the Gentiles image is incredibly powerful because in Jesus, in Jesus, God is going to fulfill his original intent. And we could go back a long way here in the story, but let's let's give you an overview. God created the man and the woman in the garden who were to walk by faith. By faith they were to trust God's provisions to them. The man and the woman were tempted not to trust God's provision And they fell. And that relationship between them them and God was broken. And we could spend a whole week unpacking that. But God in his grace and his mercy did not want them to spend eternity broken. Separated from him. And so they were removed from the garden. Sin grew. Transgressions grew. God sent a flood. Noah trusted God. Noah believed God's words were true. And so he built an ark and he walked by faith. But his children didn't walk by faith after that. And then God appeared to Abraham. Appeared to Abraham. And when God appeared to Abraham, Abraham's response was, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So by faith, Abraham trusted God. Now, as God raised up the Israelite people to walk by faith, they were to be a light to the Gentiles around them. They were to be kind. They were to be generous. They were to care well for others. And as they walked by faith, trusting God, and they experienced God's blessing, they were to invite other people, other Gentiles outside the Israelite community into their community to delight and enjoy that and to walk by faith. But something very, very subtle happened here, very subtle over time, that the Israelites walked by faith, and and out of faith, God had revealed to them how they were to live the law. But God also gave them a sacrificial system, because God knew they couldn't keep the law. And the sacrificial system was designed to remind them that they walked by faith. And they walked and experienced God's grace by faith. And that God would renew them. And God would restore them in that relationship. But something happened along the way. That their focus shifted from walking by faith to actually keeping the law. Keeping the rules. And then they decided who was in and who was out by how good of a rule keeper you were. It's a subtle shift. It's a subtle twist. It it kind of makes sense. But in the end, the law becomes a yoke. It becomes a burden. And as you all know, because you see it happen every day, that you create laws and then you have to create more laws to protect the laws that you've created and they multiply and they become a burden. And so when, when, when Simeon shows up, he says that Jesus, this child, will be the consolation of Israel and he will accomplish what Israel was intended to be and do. In other words, he will be a light. He will be a light to the Israelites. He will be a light to the Gentiles. He will He will be the light that Israel was supposed to be. He will fulfill God's purposes. And yet he goes on to say to Mary and Joseph, the child's future will not be what you expect. He will disrupt. Hmm. He will be spoken against. Hmm. The hearts of those who encounter him will be revealed in their response to him. And Mary, by the way, your soul will be pierced. Do you think those are the words that a parent of an eight-year-old baby wants to hear? Mary and Joseph are standing there trying to make sense of this. What is God's doing? What is God doing? Simeon's words were weighty. Their significance was puzzling. But they affirm that God is at work in the world. And God is going to accomplish something through his son, Jesus Christ. And so then the story shifts. We meet another character, Anna. Now Anna, again, is is an interesting character. We don't know a lot about her. The daughter of Penal, we really don't know who that is. The tribe of Asher is actually interesting because Asher was one that lost tribes of Israel. that had gone into exile and had been consumed and assumed by the nations around them. We really don't know a lot about Asher, but all of a sudden Asher shows up. God has brought them back. Anna also, or Hannah, Anna is if you um, take it over to the Hebrew, is also known as Hannah. Hmm. Hannah. Hannah is the one in the Old Testament who prayed these words. My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him his deeds are weighed. The bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry, hunger no more. She who is barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive to bring down the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. Upon him he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Those are the words that Hannah prayed just before she left her son Samuel. At the temple to be raised by the priest. In other words, Hannah or Anna here comes into this long history of of sacrifice, and she comes into the temple where she lives, having been a widow, and apparently she lives in the temple praying and fasting, and she walks up again to this couple who are already somewhat perplexed by the words of Simeon, and she spoke about the child who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. In other words, Jesus would bring not only the redemption of Israel, but the redemption of the whole world. And Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna and the baby Jesus are there trying to make sense out of all this. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing. So Mary treasures these things in her heart. Over the last several weeks, we've had the privilege of working through Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. We've explored the announcement of Jesus's birth. We've explored the birth of Jesus. And our passage this morning reminds everyone that God is in Christ, the hope of the world, entered his creation to provide deliverance. But this is only part of the scriptural story. And here's the challenge we face, that we know the story. We know how the story begins, and we know how the story ends. And as we look back, it's hard, or I should say, it's easy not to be moved by it all. But can you imagine being Mary and being Joseph and being Simeon and being Anna and hearing these things for the very first time and trying to make sense out of it? And it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. She treasured them in her heart. As Christ followers, or those who might be interested in faith, or those who... And the recesses of her heart have just said, I'm not interested. May God use this story to remind us that this is his world. That he is at work in it. That he is accomplishing his purposes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that that work continues through his people. As we announce the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that we live in an open world. We thank you that you have sent your son to die for us. Even though at this point in the story, that seems like a long way off. But the words of Anna and the words of Simeon remind us that you are at work through this child in ways that we can't even imagine. Help us to be amazed by that. But help us to also find comfort in it that you care, that you love, and that you care for your creation and for those who are fashioned in your image. And that because you care and because you love, you sent your Son to redeem us from our broken state and to restore our relationship with you. Bless us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.